Welcome to the Most Accurate Podcast. My name is Greg. I'm your host. The 2020 NFL Draft is only a day away as we're recording this, and I'm bringing back George Criticos and Nick Whalen to revisit the incoming rookie class one last time before those players find their new homes in the NFL. Before we get to George and Nick, I want to let you know about the music on today's show. It's a song by the Smoking Popes called I Was Right from their 1997 album Destination Failure. To hear the track in full, plus all the other stuff I use in my episodes, check out the team at B-Sides playlist on Spotify, which is linked in the show notes. Now, hopefully when it comes to the NFL draft and our associated fantasy football prognostications, I hope we can end up closer to saying I was right than a destination failure. So without further ado, let's start bouncing those ideas around with this week's co-host, George Criticos was on the show about a month ago when he discussed the impacts of free agency on the fantasy dynasty landscape. Check out his work at 444.com and follow him on Twitter at RotoHack. Welcome back to TMAP, George. How's everything going with you? Oh, things are great. And I, I think Destination Failure is the name of the uh, David Gettleman uh, <laughs> tribute band that he has. So it's, uh, it's, it's apropos for this week. Very good. And Nick Whalen was on about two months ago to discuss the combine performances by this year's rookie class. You know him from 444, Dynasty Nerds, The Graduates, The Debbie Report, and NickWhalen.org. Give him a follow on Twitter at underscore Nick Whalen. It's great to get you back on as well, Nick, especially as a team up with George and a reunion of your old Filmmetrics podcast. How's it going? Yeah, it, it was. Uh, it's fun because that got put out there and uh, a lot of people got play with it. So uh, the thing is, is, you know, me and George are friends in, in real life and it's cool to just catch up with them. So now we get to do it on a pod with you and maybe some people will listen. Yeah. And with that in mind, I'm going to kind of clear out for the two of you guys and take more of a backseat as a traditional host on this show. Not, not that I have a whole lot to add on rookies. I tend to be a, a, a pro football guy only when it comes to fantasy. So uh, really glad to get your guys support here. And I'm, I'm itching to revisit some of what we discussed the last time each of you were on. But before we get to the draft, I think we need to start off with some recent news, starting with today's Schefter bomb that Rob Gronkowski is coming back after a trade from New England to Tampa Bay in exchange for a fourth round pick. He's going to team up with Tom Brady again with the Buccaneers. In his last active season, 2018, Rob Gronkowski was the tight end nine in points per game, but he was the fantasy tight end one in points per game the four years prior. So what do you guys think is the redraft value for Gronk in 2020? Can he be a top 10 or top five tight end again? Uh, yeah, I do think he can because there's two there's two traits of thought with this. One is, hey, we saw O.G. Howard not get used. Cameron Braid is still there in Tampa Bay. That's what his offense is. The other side of the coin, though, and the one that I'm going to lean on is the quarterback matters. They decide where the football is going to go. He has more rapport with Gronkowski than anyone else on that team. And Gronkowski wouldn't be going there. Brady wouldn't want him coming there if they weren't going to use him, in my opinion. So I think that Gronk's going to get used. We already know that position is bad towards the end of, you know, tight end one. I mean, Jason Witten was a tight end one last year. So I think he is someone to value and to go acquire. What do you think, George? Yeah, I mean, I think it's in his range of outcomes, for sure. I don't know if I'm, I'm betting on top five. Uh, I think top 10 is pretty reasonable. I think kind of that back end tight, tight end one is where I'd, I'd value him for this year. You know, to, to next point, right? The tight end landscape just isn't great. The 2017 tight end class pretty much has been completely decimated now with Hooper going to Cleveland and, and Gronk going to to Tampa Bay. So it, it kind of removes a few possible guys who could have maybe broken into the top 12. So I just think there's just aren't, there's not a long list of names that I would be excited about. And he's still good enough and he's going to be in a, in a great offense that I, I think that's completely reasonable. So maybe the bigger question we need to be asking here isn't whether or not Rob Gronkowski can be a top 10 or top five, 10, and maybe it's more worth considering, is he going to be valued appropriately? Because I look at the name brand that he has as quote unquote Gronk playing with quote unquote Tom Brady. And I think that he's going to be overvalued because of that, right? Like I have a feeling he's going to be overdrafted relative to where we should reasonably expect him to finish in like the median case. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I, I I could see that being the case. You know, when you want to look at the tight end landscape, as we said, I mean, there, there's a top three there. But I think he's in that tier that's right after that. I mean, right now, I would put him in like that Jared Cook era where you have a guy that's a little bit older, 
It's a good offense. You don't know what he's going to be. He's going to be a tight end one likely. He could be mid. He could be low. People could have that name brand, you know, and, and overvalue him, but I don't think they're going to take him over a Zach Ertz or a Kittle or a Kelsey. But the other thing to think about is he left football because of all his injuries, right? And it was really weighing on him. And one year away from the game could heal him up, you know? And we've seen great elite players put up elite seasons later on in their career. Adrian Peterson did it age 30, age 33 after a significant injury. You know, we've seen T.O. do it. We've seen Jerry Rice do it. So, you know, you wonder, is it something where he's coming back because he wants to do something really good and it's going to be a couple of seasons of that too. So I, I see the upside too. You know, I agree with Nick for the most part. I think that I would want to pair him with someone who gives me a little bit of a of a floor just because of that range of outcomes, just knowing the injury history, knowing that he's coming back after a year layoff. Um, I just would want to, to to feel a little more comfortable, but but I do agree. I think there's only a handful of guys you can really take ahead of him, and he does have the ability to finish as a top five guy. I just don't think that's necessarily the most likely outcome. George, so one guy that comes to mind for me, because I mean, you, when you say a floor tight end, you know, I think we all have our own different definitions. So I think like telling people who you think here to me, I'm thinking like a Jack Doyle would be a really good guy to pair him with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I'd be that type of guy, right? Like someone who I feel like is going to get pretty good volume, who's not going to blow the roof off the place. But but you don't want that guy in the sense that you don't want to overpay for that second tight end. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Doyle makes a ton of sense, right? You know, we would have said like a Jason Witten would have been that type of guy, you know, maybe Greg Olson becomes that type of guy. It just really, yeah, it's, it's tough to say, obviously so early in the draft hasn't happened yet who those guys are going to be, but, but I do think it's those type of players, you know, Kyle Rudolph has been that guy in the past, you know, same mm-hmm. idea. So how about a longer term dynasty value for Gronk? How many more seasons do you guys think it's realistic for him to play and be an effective fantasy contributor? I'm going to go with two. Brady's there for two. He's in town. I think they're probably going to be married together for two years. So I would, that's, that'd be my expectation. Yeah, I'd say, I'd say two, but if I started seeing the season fall apart for the team as in, you know, they're not competing for a playoff spot. They're, they're looking like a, uh, a sub 500 team, I, I would probably bail out of that as fast as possible and just cash out because I, I don't think that Brady or Gronk really wants to wait around for a, a a team to rebuild. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, what about the tight end that he's going to be replacing in Tampa Bay? There have been a lot of trade rumors around OJ Howard. Where would you two want to see him land? I mean, I was hoping for a, a straight up swap would have been nice. <laughs> you you would have known he would have gotten the job there. <laughs> So that's the one team we know we can rule out at this point, right? Because they didn't just swap them head to head. Where, where besides New England, would you like to see OJ Howard go? I think the Packers are going to be another option for him. But but I do agree that if he was going to go to the Patriots, it would have been through the trade. Yeah, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of places that he can go. I'm a Bears fan. I think Chicago would be a fantastic spot for him. And, and this, I think, is a, a good warning to think about because when he came out, he was such a good blocker that I think that took away some of his fantasy value. And, you know, I think people are holding on to their pre-draft notion and, and that bias of what he could be. And maybe they need to regress back to maybe he's just not going to be that because this is what, you know, basically two head coaches have thought so far not to feature him to be a high-end tight end, uh, especially if they're going to replace him. Yeah, that does make sense. Now, another player who's been swirling around in some trade rumors recently is Leonard Fournette of the Jacksonville Jaguars. We don't usually expect to see running backs traded for big hauls, but then look at what happened to David Johnson in the DeAndre Hopkins trade. Now, that might be a corner case based upon one person, Bill O'Brien, but we have to consider Leonard Fournette as a legit trade asset in some capacity now that we've seen that happen. What do you guys think of these trade rumors surrounding Leonard Fournette? Uh, Let's start with you, Nick. I think it's interesting, especially when you hear the the negative news come out of, you know, him sleeping in meetings and being late to things that that's such a great strategy to get top dollar for a player. Don't you think, Greg? (laughs) I'll say this much. I think Leonard Fournette gets a really bad rap in the community. If you want to put up his college tape and his 
combine performance. I mean, he was 230 some pounds and he ran a, a four five one, I believe. And we're going crazy about AJ Dillon, you know, then you want to look at what the, he did in the sec, you know? And, you know, I think, I think how soon we forget how great players were as prospects and the Jacksonville was pretty bad, you know, in terms of an offense for a while, I think that he has some fantasy relevancy. I, I think that him getting out of Jacksonville would be a good thing for his value. He just caught the ball a lot last year. He had a historically low touchdown percentage. And so I think him leaving could help. And from what I've seen in leagues, not about you guys, people are avoiding him because apparently there's like this age 25 is the new 28. That was the new 30, you know, like apparently <laughs> it's going to keep going down lower. So I would get him at a value. And, you know, he's he's a three down back, but it's good size, good athleticism, and he's a good pedigree. Yeah, yeah, I would I would agree with a lot of what Nick said, especially around outperforming what expectations were for him uh, last year, especially in the passing game. I do think Jacksonville's building something pretty good there. I think that they're taking some steps forward. But that said, I think there are some landing spots that would would benefit him if you look at who are the RB needy teams and where he could step in right away and make a big impact. Give me an example of one of those teams because I look at those running back needy teams and I expect them to just look to the draft to fill that need. Now, maybe there aren't enough legit running backs to go around in the draft and somebody's going to have to quote unquote settle for Leonard Fournette. But give me an example of a team where you think Fournette would be a good fit, George. I would point to Tampa Bay as an option. I think they need a running back. They would be probably happy with a short-term option if if that pairs with the rest of that offense. And if it costs them a uh, round three or round four pick, I, I think they'd be okay with that. Maybe throw in O.J. Howard and get get them a tight end <laughs> right. in Jacksonville? <laughs> yeah, there you go. See, we, we got it solved. Nick, do you have anything else on Leonard Fournette before we dive into some dynasty strategy? I think just a couple of places. I mean, you want to look at a, play, a, a team that's win now. Um, I think Indianapolis makes a lot of sense. You know, they could upgrade from, from Mac there. And especially if you put Fournette behind that good offensive line, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. I know a lot of people don't agree with me, but I've been very anti-David Montgomery. I think upgrading in Chicago there because it's from the moves that GM Ryan Pace has made, they're basically in a two-year window. So I think upgrading anything on that offense, even if you don't think Foles to Trubisky is an upgrade, it is upgrading from Montgomery to Fournette's and you know a help with that team. So I think those are two spots. But I think you can't like say Washington's going to trade for Fournette. That doesn't make a lot of sense. It has to be a team that's like potentially in the playoffs. Kansas City. <laughs> <laughs> I'm starting to sense a pattern. If there's a, a good player who might be available, Nick is generally going to want that player to go to the Bears. We get it, okay? But let's let's move on. Please, let's get into <laughs> please listen to the podcast GMs, okay, and just make the moves. Let's get into some general dynasty strategy before we start talking specifically about the NFL draft. And I'm curious how your guys' dynasty outlook has changed, if at all, due to the COVID-19 pandemic, because this is going to change how teams prep for the draft, how teams prep for the regular season. I just have a feeling everything's going to be a lot different, but I don't know exactly how we should be translating that into our fantasy prep. What are you two doing when you look at the fantasy football landscape through this different lens? It's hard to for me today to make too many changes to how I'm approaching the season just because we don't know what it looks like yet. I, I know that there have been, you know, obviously a bunch of rumors around potentially shortening the season. You know, does it get canceled or does it uh, something change about it, whether it's, you know, who they play against? You know, does the schedule actually change in terms of opponents? And then obviously offseason activities are going to be affected. We saw that with pro days. We're seeing it with the NFL draft. But I think until we see something more concrete, I'm not really going to pivot too much just off of speculation. But but I have a feeling Nick's going to say otherwise. <laughs> I have a feeling that you're right, George. Um, <laughs> I've I've been in a couple of different dynasty startup drafts, and I've I've altered my strategy. I mean, I generally tend to go young, but I'm avoiding players that are older because you know if you take one year away of let's say Julio Jones right now, that value really goes down and. I won't take them unless they're an extreme value. Yeah, so I'm I'm altering it and and you know looking to trade vets on my teams, even though now is the worst time to trade vets because if you take away one year from them, you know it it, it really is going to alter the course of your potential team to win now and in the future. Yeah, I can see it from both directions, right? It's going to make it tougher for veteran players, the older players, to sustain value. But it's also going to make it tougher for incoming rookies to integrate into their new teams, their new offenses. 
I want to ask a follow-up to Nick here because wasn't he the guy who just said a little earlier about Rob Gronkowski getting this year off, being this whole new person, and maybe he'll be even better? Do you not feel like that could be the case with certain guys like A.J. Green or, or uh, Emmanuel Sanders or some of these guys who you know have had histories of injuries and, and get that year off? That's a good point. Uh, I think you need to be an elite talent to do that. Yeah, A.J. Green, maybe. I don't know if he was even hurt last year. He just didn't want to play. Emmanuel Sanders, I don't know that he returns in that offense. But, yeah, I could see that in a few cases. I mean, I mean, that could solve a lot of players' potential issues. I, I think Greg had a good point in terms of, you know, your mini camps and your training camps and even new coaching staffs. You know, sure. is Carolina going to be worse this year because they're going to have to do these virtual meetings instead of in-person practices, you know, et cetera. I think it's, it's definitely going to be interesting. I mean, you know, I know we're all living in our world differently, but I think the NFL is going to have to do something different too. And it could have some big ramifications. So on that note of rookies potentially taking longer to integrate into their teams, what is your baseline expectation for that? Let's just throw COVID-19 out the window and just talk about how you approach this in previous seasons. Like how quickly do you need or expect a rookie to produce or at least flash some sort of their upside at the NFL level? And how does that vary by position, if it does at all? And then how do you expect that to change now, if, if it's going to change at all? It does vary by position. Because, I mean, some naturally have to have more time to develop and to learn the game. I mean, running backs are earlier. Tight ends, I think, are later. Um, wide receivers are a little bit before quarterbacks. But I think in general, about 20 games is a good starting point because the biggest jump that players see is from year one to year two, just in terms of development. But that's also dependent on injuries. That's dependent on touches. You know, I mean, I remember, I don't know how many people are on board with this. I mean, I like Ronald Jones. I don't love Ronald Jones, but people like threw him out to the past year on when he had like 25 carries his rookie year, you know, and then last year he had 4.1 yards per carry. No one's talking about it. I mean, that's a big jump, and we just didn't see a sample size. So I think sample size and games matter, but you have to give a player a full offseason in the NFL, I feel like. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm, I'm pretty close with Nick here. I think my window is, you know, a year and a half to two years, so right in that range. And I think that aligns to what we see with most owners and, and how that reflects in things like ADP and with dynasty trades and things like that is generally they tend to be insulated for about a year and a half, two years before we start to see people bailing on some of those prospects. There's exceptions, of course, right? Ronald Jones is a good example of an exception where people kind of jumped out of that one pretty quickly. And then obviously there are a lot of exceptions on the positive side, but you know, with the ones who uh, don't get that opportunity right away, I think giving to Nick's point that full off season, see where their situation is in a year and see how they react and how they battle for their position is a, is a huge thing. Yeah. I'm just curious to see how much the global situation and the, and the way that these this offseason has been so different is going to impact that. I mean, maybe it jumps up from 20 games to 30 games before these guys start to get comfortable. I'm expecting it's, it's probably not that drastic, but I do think that in some cases, we're going to have to keep an eye on that aspect of this offseason and use it to inform how we're going to value these players in future years. Uh, one last bit of strategy talk before we dive into the NFL draft, and I guess this is tangential to it. I'm curious how you guys approach the trade market in your dynasty leagues around the NFL draft, because this time of year is one when everybody gets sucked back in, right? This is the one thing in sports that is actually happening live, and it's going to get people super engaged. It's going to get people looking at their dynasty rosters. So I'm curious what you guys are doing in the trade market this time of year, when the draft is active, leading up to the draft, and maybe just after the draft. I have one um, one note on kind of the, the last topic that we were talking about, and then I, I'll dive into to the trade market. But offensive lines, they take time to get that rapport with each other, to communicate. And so, you know, if there is any kind of a delay with COVID or there's less offseason, I think really studying what offensive lines are returning four or five starters could it see a huge benefit in terms of offensive production versus teams that have new starters, you know, regardless of talent level, I think that's something to think about in terms of like projections, but in terms of strategy, in terms of, you know, trading, um, you know, early and around the NFL draft, whenever I have a rookie draft going on and there's a player that I even somewhat covet, I'll make an offer because 
I think that the tiers are really important. You want to trade up to get you know so many players inside of a tier, and then if you have a lot of players that you like, trading down makes sense. I mean, people know that, but we don't know what other owners think because that anxiety is real. You know, you're on the clock. Oh my gosh, who do I have to pick? And you don't know what that other owner is thinking. You could offer them a trade that's maybe slightly below value and they might accept it because they don't have a player they really like there. So I think constantly throwing out offers or communicating with owners could yield benefits during this time of year because, and even if someone makes you an offer and you're like, I don't really like it, you can make an offer you think is worth more than what your pick is and they might accept because they really want a player. So I think always keeping trade communications open is big. Yeah, I think think to add to, to what Nick said, you know, two things. One is, I try to be active around that time because that's when we see a lot of snap judgments, whether that's for rookies or veterans, you know, whether it's a rookie who gets a quote unquote bad landing spot, that can be an opportunity to bet on talent over situation. And then with veterans, I think the same thing to an extent is, uh, you know, although it is, as Nick pointed out, one of the worst times to trade your vets because the value tends to be depressed a lot more. There's always going to be someone in the league who's going to shop around non-rookies, whether that's to get into the draft and get a pick or, or or something else. And that may be an opportunity to to pounce on those, especially if you're a contending team. Another asset that we see thrown around a lot in trade offers are future picks. So if we look ahead to the next two years, what are the general expectations for rookie pick values in 2021 and 2020? I know you guys do a lot of work with Devi. What's What did the next classes look like and how should those picks generally be valued, do you think? George, you want to start? Yeah, I would love to start because Nick's going to make me look foolish on this one. So, so I'd like to have the first crack at this. <laughs> Uh, and not just agree with him. So I, I really like the 2021 class. Obviously, there's a lot of caveats with that. You know, does everyone declare and, and you know, does everyone have a good season? No one gets hurt, all these other things. Um, but if you just look at it today in a in a bubble, I mean, it looks like a great class. It's definitely more wide receiver heavy to me, it feels like, than, than running back heavy, where this draft's a little bit more on the running back side, at least on the top end. And then obviously it gets pretty meaty at wide receiver this year but uh you know with rondale moore and with jamar chase and justin ross has a big year with trevor lawrence there in clemson and uh, i'm a big jalen waddle fan out in alabama so i i really do like the 2021 class i don't feel as excited for 2022 i feel like unless a couple guys stay it's just not nearly as exciting but again you know we still have a lot of time before that class comes out so there's always going to be someone emerging but I am really excited for the 2021 class, and I could see a lot of people hold on to those the way people were holding on to 2020 picks, uh, especially as the hype starts to build a little bit more, uh, assuming we get a college football season. George, I, I don't disagree with you a whole lot here. OK, so, oh, you know, have a little right. confidence in your takes, you know, <laughs> um, I I think one thing to, to really take note of is is I think you have to draft for value and then then you, you trade for need. But I think being cognizant of what's coming up in future classes per position is really important. So if you need a running back, this class is really good, right? I, I have a top three and then plus Dobbins. So I'd say four would be up there. But next year's class, which some of these guys could have been in there, is Travis Etienne. I'm not super high on Chuba Hubbard. And then you have Najee Harris, who I have to give a shout out to George's wife, Katie, who loves Alabama. So I'm going to mention him. So she can World be right with me. But th- that's it. And then you look at 2022. I mean, there's Brees Hall. He's okay. But I'm not super hyped about running back classes, you know, coming up there. Zach Charbonnet showed some flashes, not a ton. So saying that, if you need a running back, this year might be a year you're like, you know what? If you're deciding between a running back or receiver, you might go running back knowing one, two years from now, you might not get that guy. and You might have this hole in your roster. Or if you need a running back, you need to be high next year to get Travis Etienne. What George said is correct. I think the wide receiver class next year is outstanding. I mean, Tylen Wallace, Tamari and Terry. I mean, there's a ton of guys up there. I mean, even Jalen Waddell's running mate, Devonta Smith. Uh, there's there's a lot of talent at wide receiver next year that I think is good. I think there's a lot of talent at tight end coming up as well. So I think those are the the classes. Uh, well, and we could talk about quarterbacking too. If you're in super flex, you know, you're two QB with Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, obviously. But if you need running back, I don't think that's something to really shoot for. And in in 2022 overall, George Pickens is really good. But I think that right now, as George indicated, there's not a lot of data and there's not a lot of freshmen that really stood out. You know, I remember Sammy Watkins had that awesome year at Clemson his freshman year. We didn't have that. And so when you don't have that, the value's lower. 
And so I would really covet wide receiver next year for sure. But if it's running back, I might take them this year. So how does the wide receiver class next year compare to this year's? Because the 2020 wide receiver class is one that's said to be very, very deep, right? It is. I, I would take next year's class over this one. I would too. This, in this year's class, I I mean, people really like Justin Jefferson, right? I'm not as big on him, but Justin Jefferson isn't even close to the best receiver on his own team. I mean, Jamar Chase is good, and Rondale Moore, you know, got hurt last year, but he's special in my opinion. I like Tylen Wallace a lot, who I had said. You know, Georgia mentioned Waddle. I mean, there's so many unique and good talents in that class. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even mention Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota, who's really good. There's a lot of really good wide receivers there who could be elite. And then if you look at this year's class, there's only two guys that could be elite in this class, in my opinion. There's there's a few that, you know, if everything turns out perfect, they could. But it's more doubtful. I think next year's class has some more of those elite talents. And they might be getting underrated because people used to value size a ton. But that's not the NFL right now. Right now, the NFL is about separation. And that this next year's class has the athletic ability and strength, I think, to separate. No, I totally agree. I think, to next point, I think the upside of the 2021 class from a wide receiver position is just insane. I think we're going to see, assuming again, everything holds and, and, and everything else. I mean, we could see something on par with that 2014 class. One of those, one of those years where we're going to get a ton of really good to, to elite type guys, especially as we think about dynasty leagues. All right. So let's get into the draft itself because it's fun to speculate not only about this year's rookies, but the upcoming rookie classes as well. With that said, we still need the information of where these guys are going to land in the NFL before we can really get a strong beat on what their value is going to be. So we're going to tie this all to draft capital, where a player is drafted, what team picks them, you know, landing spot. And I'm curious what you guys think about how draft capital relates to fantasy value by position, because... We're not going to see that many running backs go in the first round, even though, as Nick alluded to, he has a, a really a really strong top three running backs. And, and just as a teaser, we are going to get to an overall top 12 uh, from Nick and from George at the end of the episode. So stay tuned for that. But getting to this idea of draft capital and how it relates to fantasy value, uh, how does it vary by position for you? You know, part of it is a pure opportunity play, right? Like they're more likely to assume that a first round pick is going to, you know, fill a, an immediate need as opposed to a later round pick. That's part of it, right? But then there's also a roster component of it when you think about how many at each position can you carry, right? Teams are willing to carry more wide receivers now because there are more three and four wide receiver sets. So that can dilute the draft capital argument a little bit, right? Because a, a guy can stick around a little longer on the roster because there is that extra spot that maybe there wasn't before. Uh, whereas the tight end, it's a little bit of the opposite. You know, teams aren't carrying that fourth tight end uh, like they used to. There aren't as many big sets for a lot of teams that there used to be. So draft capital can be a little bit more important for a tight end because they could bounce around really quickly. And with running back, right, uh, Nick kind of alluded to the idea of like running backs tend to hit earlier. And part of that also is, you know, running backs need to hit earlier because the the, the toll that it takes on their bodies, be it in college and then in the pros, it, it can erode their ability to stay healthy a lot quicker. So um, that draft capital can be super important when it relates to opportunity and just the lifespan of that position. Yeah, I think that that's a good point. I'm going to bring up just one other aspect that people need to be aware of. You know, the NFL teams are drafting to win games, to add a new dynamic to their offense, their defense, to add a new, some kind of a value. I mean, we know what Will Fuller did with Houston, right? I mean, they averaged one more touchdown per game with Will Fuller in the lineup than without. It wasn't because Will Fuller was going to make the most receptions and yards. And so I think when looking at, as George said, if this guy goes in the first round or this guy goes in the second round, realizing that that player isn't necessarily going to be the best fantasy asset and that we're playing a different game. So I think that that's going to vary the value even by position, you know, because you could see a guy drafted in on day two, but he's projected to be a third down back instead of a guy who could be, potentially later, but he's a, he could play all three downs, you know? So I think you have to kind of take that into context when you're drafting and, and valuing players. Yeah, that's a great point. It's not just about where they went in the draft. It is about the landing spot and the scheme that they're going to be plugged into. Now, how can fantasy owners 
try to identify outliers here, right? Like, how are we going to find the next Aaron Jones who was drafted in the fifth or sixth round but produces, like, a player who was drafted in the third round at the running back position? Like, what sort of attributes or statistics are you two looking for to identify players maybe who had a, a low draft capital but who will find success in the NFL? Well, I think the, the one thing I always look for, and, I mean, I'm, I'm a film guy, you know, one thing that, that really kind of almost bugs me is that everyone this time of year is going to hit. They're all going to be great. Everyone loves their teams. Every player can learn a new position or they can overcome whatever flaw. And the reality is they can't. Not, a lot of these guys aren't going to make it. And looking back to a lot of players that weren't developed, that didn't have a lot of the traits and the skill sets, and instead they had maybe the athletic numbers, I think they get overrated. I mean, so I automatically think of someone like Cam Akers. I know people really love Cam Akers. Cam Akers was my number one running back coming out of high school, but he's not learned to be a running back in terms of his footwork, his approach to line of scrimmage, his vision, how he anticipates linebackers flowing, how he sets up blocks, his decision-making in terms of, I'm just going to run over this guy instead of you know, making a move, a subtle cut, and take on half of the defender. All those things matter in the grand scheme of being a successful running back in the NFL by a lot. But if you turn on a highlight tape or you look at him at the combine, like, wow, Cam Akers has a lot of potential. Sure, if you want to go that direction, but I don't know that he's going to learn all of those little skills that I think are really going to affect whether he's on the field a lot, multiple year starter, fantasy outlook, things like that. So I think traits are a big thing that I look for. Cam Akers is one of those guys. I'm also going to throw in Antonio Gibson, who I think is getting so much hype right now. And he had 33 carries in college. 33. Yes, he was at a Juco, but he's learning a new position. And we, I mean, how many Memphis running backs haven't been good? You know what I mean? Like they, they're all unbelievable. I mean, it's like running back you there and he's only had 33 carries, you know? So if he was this great talent, you know, he should have been getting more play there. So I think saying he's going to come to the NFL and learn the, the position, I think it's a big risk. And with my rookie picks and the people that ask me or, you know, by my publications, et cetera, I'm going to advise them not to take the unnecessary risks and instead to take more of the developed players. I'm going to I'm going to probably agree with Nick in a very simple way. I mean, for me, outliers and and if you think about right, there's two kinds, right? The ones that are the sleepers and the ones that are the bus, so to speak, right? And so for me, the guys with later draft capital that I think outperform it are likely going to be ones who had proven production in college on on a bigger stage, not a Juco type guy. Uh, so I'm willing to take a chance on a limited athlete later in the draft if he was a productive college player, because I think they're going to be more likely to uh, know how to maximize their skills and and teams are not going to be as patient with them. So they need to know how to do the small things right away. And and those guys tend to be the ones who get that accomplished. And then with busts and, and thinking about those uh, to Nick's point, right, it's, it's those unpolished guys. I mean, they can be amazing athletes, but if they are missing kind of some of the more technical components, I think that can be a little tougher for certain players to learn because not every player has that same learning curve and, and great, you know, athleticism can help certain guys outperform maybe their skill set in terms of kind of the, the technical aspects. But I don't know if you want to bet on that every time. So that's where I'd go with it. So if we want to try to apply these things that you're looking for to this year's class, George, who are some players that stand out to you as potential or likely bus or to potential or likely sleepers like give me rattle off a couple of players on the positive side a couple of players on the negative side yeah i mean uh in terms of the negative side uh you know herbert's one i worry about a lot i just didn't see a lot of progression from him through his college years and he is a really good athlete uh, but i think he also missed some easy throws and wasn't a guy necessarily who who had that uh ascension throughout his career i feel like there was a plateau pretty early and that scares me a bit in terms of both his production and, and his overall skill set. KJ Hamler is a guy I worry about more in a different way. I mean, he was productive at Penn State, but I just don't know if he's going to translate to the NFL. He's a much smaller wide receiver, and I just don't know if he's going to get the same type of space that he had in college to produce. Denzel Mims is another one I worry about a little bit, and, and that, again, goes to that technical aspect of the game. I feel like he's he struggles with separation, and I think that's more of a nuance uh, approach to his route running and to his uh, ability to separate as opposed to physical attributes. On the positive side, I mean, uh, you know, AJ Dillon and Tyler Johnson are two guys who have day three rumors. Uh, you know, they could 
obviously side into day two and at one point were considered much higher. Tyler Johnson was a guy who was seen as a first round dynasty rookie pick a year ago, uh, you know, if he had declared then. So they are guys who've been productive, but don't necessarily uh, have kind of the all around Dylan, obviously athletic, but not a pass catcher with, with Johnson never showed if he was athletic or not. We never got to see that. And then Brian Edwards would be another one for me that was productive, but didn't necessarily have kind of that elite profile um, and could be a guy who falls into the day three crowd as well. I'm starting to go the other way on A.J. Dillon after reading Graham Barfield's recent yards created piece. He had some pretty damning numbers in there. Uh, A.J. Dillon had better O-line support than any other running back in the class with 1.9 yards blocked per play. And Dillon forced the fewest missed tackles per carry in the class. It makes me worry that Dylan's simply going to end up being a get what's blocked type of guy in the pros. Uh, Nick, what do you think about that? What's your take on AJ Dylan? Yeah, no, I'm with you. And, and I was recently on a podcast with uh, Matt Waldman, who I think everyone knows and, and really respects. And he's high on Dylan, but I've, I've never seen a bigger, faster player, you know, from the combine that um, gets tackled as easy or shows less power on film. I mean, he'll run into a pile and it, the pile doesn't move. And it just, it doesn't make sense to me. It, it's almost, and I, with him, I think it's a mentality. I think he doesn't have the mentality to break the tackles. You know, he, he wants to avoid and be this small back and that's just not who he is. And I think that's important to be who you are as a player. Yeah, that makes sense. Now, how about for you? Who are a few other players that profile to you as either sleepers or bust based upon the expected draft capital that we're projecting them for uh, in tomorrow's draft. I had mentioned Akers and, and Gibson. Those are two. I think another running back right now that's getting more hype than is warranted is Darrington Evans from App State. Yes, he's fast. Yes, his highlight tape looks good. He can catch a few passes, but he has really limited power, tough cutting ability. Um, he ran, I mean, I don't know the numbers. I think it's like almost like 90% zone scheme. So he's not very scheme versatile. And he's also a smaller guy. Uh, that's a guy I don't understand the hype. I think Zach Moss is overhyped right now in terms of I think he dances too much. I think that he he can be David Montgomery a little bit in the NFL in terms of he doesn't know who he is as an athlete and tries to go outside and uh, out-athlete people. And at college, it didn't always work, and it's not going to work in the NFL if he does that as well. If we move on to, to wide receivers, I think Henry Ruggs is exactly what I was talking about in terms of an NFL team is going to add him for a scheme benefit but you're not going to see the fantasy benefit from henry ruggs based on where people have him ranked or expectations um i have justin jefferson a little bit lower too i think he's more raw than people want to give him credit for and i I don't have my top five wide receivers so that's you know kind of speaking to that not that he can't be okay but in terms of overvalued with the draft capital and then visca chenault visca chenault is is raw he has lots of injuries um, do I want to root for him because of his story and because, you know, he has some potential? Sure. But I think, you know, we're always playing this value game and he's going to get drafted higher than I'm going to feel comfortable. A couple of guys real quick that I like in terms of value, they're going to be Keyshawn Vaughn for Vanderbilt. I think he's a three down back with toughness. He's really good in terms of traits, in terms of making decisions and cutting uh, efficient with his movements. Michael Pittman, I know he's kind of getting a lot of play right now, but I mean, I have him up. He's my sixth receiver. Um, I think he's got some really good potential there. And then another guy that's way off the radar I really like is Van Jefferson, Florida. I think he is very, very fundamentally sound. He's a savvy route runner, underrated athlete, couldn't run at the combine because of a foot injury. So I think he's getting underrated, but I think he could be really good value. So let's move on and talk about some of the NFL team needs that are out there and how these rookie players might fit into these teams. And I want to start here at the quarterback position. I think it's safe to assume that we all have Joe Burrow going number one overall to Cincinnati. And when I first typed up the show notes for this episode a while back, I had it locked in as Tua going to Miami, but that doesn't seem to be the case. And maybe, George, you can weigh in here because you mentioned how you're a little lower on Justin Herbert, but it sounds like Justin Herbert has a, a decent shot, if not a good shot, to be the second quarterback drafted in this class. What, what do you think about that first? Do, do you think that we should be mocking Herbert ahead of Tua at this point? If we're being realistic in terms of where NFL teams might go, I think that's that's fair. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I, I, I disagree from a talent perspective. I think Tua is going to be the better player, but but I but I understand that certain teams may not want to take the chance if if they feel like the the injury issues you know might might be something that's that's more than uh, than what maybe certain people are leading on. Um, but but I certainly have two above Herbert. I just I think he's just a way more complete player. And and the injuries, honestly, they're unrelated, so I'm not too concerned about it. 
How about you, Nick? Which of those two guys do you prefer? Uh, Tua. I mean, I have two over Burrow. I mean, I, I think simply you want the best talent. I do too. And, and hope that the talent overcomes the injuries versus hoping some guy that's not as good can become good at some point. Fair enough. Now, if we just generally assume that those are going to be the first three quarterbacks drafted, I mentioned Burrow to Cincinnati is kind of locked in at this point, but where do you expect to see Tua go and Justin Herbert go in that first round? Because I'm assuming they're both going to be gone within the first you know, 10 to 15 picks. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I still think Miami's going to take Tua. I think that it's a smoke screen. M- Miami's getting better. If we're being honest, I know people think of them as a joke. They're getting better up until two weeks ago. And all of a sudden, you know, they're going to take a different quarterback. I mean, why would that leak out? I, I think he's going to go there. Um, I think Herbert to the Chargers makes a lot of sense. It's it's tough to see them going through the season with Tyrod Taylor. Yeah, I, I have it the same way. And I think that, uh, that, that you know, Tyrod Taylor is kind of a good guy to, to keep for a year and let Herbert sit on the bench and, and learn and, that's a good approach for him because I think he's going to need all the help he can get, especially if we don't have uh, the offseason activities. I just feel like he'd be less prepared to step into a starting role in the NFL right away compared to Burrow and, and Tua. Now for the next group of quarterbacks following up that top three, we're looking at Jordan Love, Jake Fromm, Jacob Eason, and Jalen Hurts in some order. How are you two evaluating that group of four and which teams do you expect to to take cracks on those quarterbacks? I have I have love next. I don't really like a lot of these other quarterbacks, if we're being completely honest. I'm not even a huge Herbert fan, so I don't have a ton of love for this class. No pun intended. But but yeah, love love I think could go to the Colts. That seems like a pretty common landing spot that 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 keeps coming up. And I think it makes a lot of sense, especially with Brissett there. He could sit potentially if if they need him to. Um Fromm is a guy who is probably going to be a career backup. I don't see him ever really being much more than maybe a spot starter. And I thought of the Saints just thinking about uh, what Teddy Bridgewater has done there, the need that they have right now, knowing that they have Drew Brees, and and maybe they just this isn't the right time for them to take that crack at a potential successor. Maybe that that's a year or two off. With Jacob Eason, I I had him going to Tampa Bay, being behind Tom Brady. I think that makes a lot of sense and 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 puts a, a big armed quarterback. You know, with the Buccaneers, which I'm sure they'd love to have again after <laughs> Jameis Winston and all the craziness, I think there's there's a few similarities there. And with Jalen Hurts, I'd love to see him on the Patriots. I just think that would be a fun landing spot. And uh, if Belichick's around for a few years, I, I think he could benefit and potentially be a starter down the road. I actually like Jake Fromm more than Love. Love's floor is lower and his ceiling's higher. I mean, that's basically what it is. I mean, you can pick, you know, kind of what you like. If you like high ceiling, you go with Love. If you like higher floor than, than it's from. But I think love going to the Raiders makes a lot of sense in terms of, you know, they've been fishing around that they need a quarterback. Georgia said the Colts. I think the Colts are going to be tough because they don't have first round picks. So you're, I mean, if he drops the second, then maybe, but I think love's probably going to go mid to late first. So, you know, I think he's going to be the fourth quarterback taken. Uh, so I think the Raiders just make sense Nick, there. Nick, Nick, they let them trade in the NFL draft. I'd like to point that out. Oh, they do. Yeah. This changes everything, guys. Even even when they're on a even when they're on a Zoom call, Nick, they can trade. I'm uh, I'm writing notes real quick just so I can learn <laughs> some stuff. Um, I, I have Jake Fromm going to the Colts, so just kind of a switch there. I think him learning behind Rivers and Brissett. I see him as like Andy Dalton. It's not sexy. It's efficient. It's smart. He can run an offense. You know, the Colts they they get smart players there that can fit his scheme. Eason, I'm not a huge fan. I mean, there's George. I'm not a huge fan of anybody actually behind the top two. I have him going to Jacksonville. I mean, they got some wide receivers that can run. And if you get a quarterback that's got a cannon, it kind of makes a little sense there. And then with Jalen Hurts, I don't mind the Patriots. As George said, I kind of like Baltimore. They are a very different scheme than anybody else with Jackson running so much. But that's a huge injury risk. So you don't want a huge differential between your starter and your backup if the injury risk is higher. And who fits that more than Jalen Hurts? So if you get him in there and they both learn the same way, and, and Hurts is a is a, a slower processor, I think, of information. That's the same thing that Lamar Jackson had going on. So I think they can like kind of learn together. I think they can both, you know, offset each other and he can help him out, maybe extend both careers, you know, maybe a package of plays. I think it could be a good fit. Yeah, I think the big takeaway for me after listening to you guys talk about it is that this is a very narrow, top-heavy class at quarterback. You're looking at Tua and Burrow as the clear top tier. Justin Herbert's kind of 
the tier 1.5 and then everybody else is going to be a dart throw and I don't know that's not going to help out a whole lot of NFL teams long term and and we need to be mindful of that as we're prepping for our rookie drafts and dynasty so let's move on to running back next and this is where we have a lot of heavy hitters and then some other potential values as well which teams do you guys think have the biggest needs at running back and where do you see the players making sense for those teams in the draft well, I, I want to make one note. I know Tampa Bay is a huge landing spot that everyone, you know, is, is indicating. I don't see them taking a running back in the, the, the first three rounds. I just don't. I mean, they just traded a fourth for a tight end. They have to take O-line in round one. They do. And that defense is fourth worst in scoring, you know, last year. So, they. I mean, if you want to think about it, I mean, the upgrade you're going to get a running back from Ronald Jones, who I like, some biased to whomever they're going to get in round two or three. I just know that the benefit's going to be there, especially when they're in this two-year window and Arians historically doesn't spend a lot of draft capital on a running back. Um, he did inherit Rojo, and he doesn't play rookies generally. I mean, David Johnson had to wait, even though he's flashed you know, for half the season. So I, I don't see that as a spot that everyone is always mocking people to. I, I just don't see it happening. I think Miami makes sense. I mean, they have two early picks me and George actually just did a, a mock that he released on Twitter. I think that I can't remember if I put Taylor or Dobbins there, but I think that they're going to be the first one to take a running back. They needed more of an identity there, especially if they're going to take a quarterback early. I think it just makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't think that the chiefs take a running back early. I think they have too many needs and they don't have enough draft capital to go there. And so I, I kind of have a list of a lot of teams that, you don't think they're going to take a running back, and then they do. I mean, remember when the Rams took Gurley, even though they had Trey Mason. You know, even though the Carolina had D'Angelo Williams, they took Jonathan Stewart. Like, you just never really know where they're going to go, especially because this is going to be a day two thing. I think Miami, Pittsburgh, the Jets, Houston. I mean, who knows with Houston, you know. Uh, I think Tennessee. Tennessee could replace Henry. They could you know, have him go for one year and then replace him. Jacksonville, we already know. Fournette's on the wire there. Washington, people don't talk about that one a lot, I think, because people love the thought of what Darius Geis could be, but where it's two years now and they got to do something. Chicago, you know, as I had said already, uh, Detroit. Detroit isn't talked about a lot. I mean, Kerryon Johnson has not been healthy. They they need someone to help Matt Stafford and Kenny Galladay there. And so I think that's a good one. The Colts I'd already indicated. And the other one, I think, is Arizona. Uh, as much as people love Kenyon Drake, it's a one year deal. And so you get a guy and, you know, round three or four, I think it could be a good spot. George, you want to dig in on the biggest needs at running back among NFL teams? Yeah, I mean, Nick hit a lot of the main teams. I'd say the only ones I'd add, Atlanta, I think, is probably going to look for someone with with Gurley on a short deal. The Bills seem to to be interested. Uh, you know, the, I know Atlanta did a lot of interviews with running backs. I think the Bills did as well and, and could use some depth there behind Singletary. Um, and, and I'd put Baltimore there, too, knowing that they have Mark Ingram and Justice Hill, I guess. Uh, kind of as the main guys there. So what about the Gus bus? Come on. <laughs> I'm going to stick with the two I, I mentioned. Uh, no, I mean, I mean, <laughs> Gus Edwards is, is good in a committee, so I, I don't have an issue with that, but I, but they definitely need someone else. So, so you could certainly see any of those teams, but to Nick's broader point, I mean, you never know with running back. It, it always seems to be a crapshoot who ends up going where and someone's inevitably going to slide and someone's going to get over drafted because all it takes is that one team. And so when it comes to fantasy, a lot of the ways these guys end up finding value is through injury or underperformance from one of the established guys on that team. Let's say Baltimore does draft a running back to go and compete with Mark Ingram, Justice Hill, and Gus Edwards. If that guy flashes in year one uh, and then Mark Ingram gets hurt, like his value goes way up, right? Does that, when you guys are prepping for your drafts, make you make you care less about draft capital or landing spot with a player and bet more on just the talent side, your initial evaluation of those players? Because it seems like every running back is always just one play away from becoming the starter, right? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think running backs a volume game at the end of the day. So a, a good situation can mean a lot more for a running back than some of these other positions. If you think about short term in, in particular, uh, and, and to my earlier point, right, like the life cycle of a running back isn't very long in general, with the exception of of the elite players. So you really are playing that short game in a lot of cases. And so if that opportunity's there, I mean, it's it's worth chasing to an extent. Yeah, no, I, I agree with George there. I mean, it is a volume game. I tend to lean more towards talent and what I value over 
you know, the scheme fit, but at some point you can't ignore, you know, as much as I'm not a David Montgomery fan, even though he plays for my favorite team, you know, he's going to get touches, you know, and that's going to lead to RB2 numbers and it's going to help your fantasy team. So you, you can't ignore it. But I do think that sometimes people, they can overvalue draft position in terms of, you know, and I think we're going to talk about wide receivers next, but I mean, we look, it's not too long ago that Paris Campbell and Michael Hardman were round one picks and they didn't work out in terms of being round one values when we look now because AJ Brown was way down, right? And so was DK Metcalf because they didn't go to great situations and now it's different a year later. So I think it can kind of go both ways and it can be really risky to really flip your rankings based on where someone goes. Well, let's dig into wide receivers, as you noted. George, where do you see the biggest needs at that position among NFL teams? The Jets, the Raiders, the Broncos all have a lot of first-round hype. The Eagles, the the Saints, uh, the Vikings all seem to also be kind of in that first-round situation. The Packers are another one that have had a lot of rumors uh, in the late first as well. And then you have teams like like the Seahawks that are looking maybe potentially in the second or third round. I think they have a pair of seconds, if I remember right. And and then there's going to be a bunch of teams that are just looking for depth, Chicago included, right? But they have limited draft capital to do so. So we don't know where uh, some of those type of teams are going to make that pick. Miami's another one with a lot of picks and needs some depth at wide receiver. Um, but I think that that early pocket of about eight or so teams are probably going to be the ones that really chase wide receiver early and, and are potential strong landing spots for someone to contribute pretty quickly. Nick, you want to add any teams to that list? No, I think George hit on it well. I think the other thing just to note is with such a deep class, I mean, I have on my list about 12 guys that I really like, and it could be even deeper than that. If you're an NFL team and you're between wide receiver and any other position, why won't you take the other position and just wait around and then take the, the wide receiver? You know what I mean? I think it just makes sense in terms of value. And that could lead to some teams that we look at and we're like, why aren't they taking this guy? He's right there. It's because they can get someone around later and still fill their D end or their corner need. Do you have any favorite potential landing spots or favorite fits between the rookies at wide receiver and the, and the teams who are looking at that position? Um, I, I think that there's some that just make more sense, you know, in terms of complimenting, you know, I think that some people are talking about Denver as being a really big landing spot. I mean, it could, I mean, you do have a wide receiver one there. I think that having someone like rugs there makes sense more than someone like Judy, even though I think Judy is a better fantasy fit and better overall fit. And I, I'm not a big rugs fan, but in terms of what that does for that offense, because you have Fant and you have Sutton and you have Gordon to do all the underneath work. And I guess Deshaun Hamilton, the people are still big fans of him and rugs would open up everything else for them. And drew Locke likes to throw the ball deep. And Drew Locke did that to Emmanuel Hall a ton at Missouri. And so when you add in rugs, that I think increases his value and the value of the whole offense if he fits there. How about you, George? Any favorite fits at wide receiver? The Colts really need an outside receiving option. I think a guy like T. Higgins makes a ton of sense, especially if you pair that with a a young quarterback that could be a potential good opportunity because he did prove to be a guy who could uh, work down the field, which is something that they seem to like with with past receivers like T.Y. Hilton and Marvin Harrison and Reggie Wayne, um, but still has enough polish that he could be a contributor pretty quickly and also complement someone like Paris Campbell that they picked last year, who's going to be more of a slot option and underneath option who can break a long play. I think something like that would be a good pick. And I know that Denzel Mims to the Packers seems to be really popular. I'm not necessarily as excited about that one. I'd rather see someone like Jalen Rager, who has a little more versatility, go somewhere like the Packers. I think he could be a guy who could contribute really well, really quickly. All right. Now, I know we probably don't want to do this, but I want to get to tight end next. This is not the sexiest position in the 2020 class, but we should talk about them. Which teams out there have the biggest need at the tight end position? You know, Chicago has got a big need there. They just cut Trey Burton, Jimmy Graham. You know, even though he's going to be there for two years, isn't who he was. I don't want them to go tight end because I don't think it makes sense with their two-year plan, but they have a need there. I think Carolina does. You know, I know people really want to love on Ian Thomas and his potential, but with a new coach comes new talent. They don't always take the old talent and believe in it as much as, you know, everyone else does or the old staff. Uh, I think Washington makes a lot of sense. And the Patriots, I mean, the Patriots, they need a lot there. And I think adding a good tight end talent there is just really going to help whoever the quarterback is going to be. I mean, I was going to say Tampa Bay, but that's changed. Uh, no, <laughs> um, so I guess the, the the couple, I'd say the Packers would be one. Um, the Colts would be another uh, that, that stand out to me. 
um, in addition to the ones that Nick mentioned. I, I just don't think there are a ton of great options at tight end, and I just don't think there's a ton of team needs right now. So do you guys think that that makes it more likely that a player like O.J. Howard will have better trade value or any other you know tight ends who might happen to become available this time of year? Yes, I, I do. I mean, I think Howard, you think of Najoku, I think that those guys are going to be better talents than what's coming out right now. And I think they're going to have, you know, when you want to think of this COVID we talked about in terms of development, I think that they would have more of a development already that could help a team right away versus these kids too. I'd agree with that. Yeah, I don't have much to add. Nick nailed it. Now, if your team, your favorite team was going to go out and trade for a tight end, would you rather them trade for Njoku or for OJ Howard or for Evan Ingram? Ingram, for me, I'm a, I'm a bigger fan of him than the other two. If, if we're talking about a receiving tight end and we're talking more fantasy specific, but obviously he's not the most complete in terms of blocking. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, if their price was equal, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, Ingram, I think is Ingram would have been my wide receiver, too, if he played wide receiver out of that class. I think he's really talented. Yeah, fair enough. So may, maybe Ingram was a runaway winner there. Do you have a preference between Njoku and OJ Howard? I would go Howard because he's a superior blocker, so he's going to help all facets facets of that offense. Even even if he's not elite what people thought he was, he's better than Njoku. I'd agree there. Yeah, totally. All right. The moment has come. Let's get to our top 12 overall rookie rankings. These are going to have changed a little bit from the last time I had each of you on the podcast. George, I'm going to let you kick it off with the 101, and then maybe we can go back and forth to see where you and Nick disagree. Is it still Jonathan Taylor for you? It is. Yeah, it's still Jonathan Taylor for me. I, I, I think he's the most talented and, uh, you know, seems like the the most likely to be uh, an elite runner uh, for an NFL offense and, and, a, and a team will trust him the most. Same for you, Nick. Jonathan Taylor, first overall in a rookie draft. Yeah, he is. Even though the anonymous uh, scout in the what is it? The athletic article came out where uh, they said Antonio Gibson could be better than Jonathan Taylor. I but put a name on their anonymous scout. We want to out you. All right. Who do you got number two then? Uh, I got Swift. DeAndre Swift for me as well. Both got Taylor Swift. Both got Taylor Swift. <laughs> All right, George, who do you have at number three? Uh, Jerry Judy for me. He's been my top receiver for a while, and, and I think he's just the most complete at the position and, and seems like he'll fit pretty much anywhere he lands. I have C.D. Lamb. I like him more, but everyone has to put in the context that if George does not have jerry judy wide receiver one that his wife's going to disown him so you know Correct. there's obviously a bias there smart move yeah, by you totally. george i appreciate that yeah. uh george you have cd lamb fourth though right i mean it's it's pretty close that's right yeah and i have them really, really close uh you know within my my overall rankings too so you know it's, it really is splitting hairs with those two i think they're both great players nick are you splitting hairs in the opposite way with lamb three and judy four or do you have a different player at four uh, no, I have Clyde Edwards Hilaire for. I, I really, really love his talent. Um, I think he's so versatile in terms of scheme, catching the football, which we know catching the football is worth more for running back than running the football is per touch. It's it's proven. So he's a guy I think that people need to to hype up more because he's gonna add 50, 60, 70 plus receptions, you know, on top of what he can do rushing and he can make anybody miss. And so, you know, if his offensive line isn't good, if they run zone, if they run gap, I think he's going to be good in, in anything, except he's not tall and doesn't run a great 40 time, which I don't care about. So one of those people who might need to bump him up higher is George, because I know George has him a lot further down in the top 12. What's your concern there, George? Is it that maybe Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was propped up by Joe Burrow, by the rest of LSU surrounding talent on offense? Like, why are you so much lower on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire than Nick is? Yeah, I mean, I, I have some questions around if he can be a three down back for an NFL offense. I think his uh, blocking can use a lot of work. And, and that's scary from an NFL perspective if a team doesn't trust him enough they, they may bench him even if he is a great receiver so uh, there, there are definitely concerns there and and i wonder honestly he had about 215 or so carries last year which is a pretty good workload in addition to the 50 plus catches but but i don't know how well he's going to be able to hold up doing that for multiple seasons you know, he hasn't really shown that yet so there's there's some outstanding questions for me that i'm just not quite ready to commit as high as maybe some other people are well i mean for for me with with concerns about getting injured or a workload. I mean, he's what, 5'7", 207 at the combine and, and Jake Adams is 5'9", 209. So, I mean, you can't be worried about one and not the other. 
No, I, I hear you. It's just, yeah, it's, I mean, honestly, like, I think we've seen more with Dobbins than we've seen with Edward Solaire. That's fair. And that's, yeah, and that's, that's where I'm at with it. I mean, I, I like both players. I just, I trust Dobbins a little more at this point. Yeah. And I generally have that too, where if I can get two good sample sizes of seasons from a player, I like more than the one that, that favors more with me in terms of quarterbacking than anything else. But yeah, I can see that here. Nick, who do you have at number five? Uh, there I have Jerry Judy. So um, I question a little bit of Judy in terms of toughness going over the middle DBs if they get their hands on him, but he's just a phenomenal route runner. Um, I, I want him to run more north and south after the reception than all the dancing that he does, even though he is a good dancer. You know, I'm sure he, he'll do really good on Dancing with the Stars someday, but I, I really want him to get north and south to get yards. But he's a great route runner. You can't question that. And just the way that he attacks defensive backs. He just has such a big knowledge base, and that's that's a good lesson, I think, for anyone that's that's scouting or that's a receiver or whatever, is that it's not how athletic you are. It's how you attack and, and utilize space and hands and feet all in coordination to get away from defenders. George, who do you have at number five? J.K. Dobbins. For me, and I, I don't probably need to go too much more into it, but but yeah, he's been my my third running back uh, for a little while. And and to Nick's point, you know, the multiple seasons of of high production really boosted him in in my ranks. Now, how how about number six? It's a uh, it's Henry Ruggs, which I know Nick and I will disagree <laughs> with. I just think uh, I think Ruggs Alabama. is going to get. <laughs> I think Ruggs is going to get a lot of opportunity, and I think that it's a tough wide receiver class after two. Personally, I think there are a lot of guys kind of smushed together in that next tier. And and for me, the combination of Ruggs' potential draft capital, I think his explosiveness, and I think he's more nuanced than people give him credit for. He's a guy that I just really like. I mean, if you could just see me shaking my head, George, I mean, we used to be good at this, man. Like, what what happened? I mean, you know, you go to Vermont, you know. What <laughs> there's no there's no football team up here, so I'm watching <laughs> a lot less these days. I, with me, it's just I don't see Ruggs as a good route runner. I don't see him uh, being physical enough to, to, one, win at the catch point, but also to get de- defenders off him. Uh, sometimes he was okay with a guy just being in his hip pocket, and that's just not going to fly with me. I don't think he has good lateral agility either, which I think is an issue with the route running and after the reception. But he can go deep, and if he gets the ball in his hands and has a lane, I mean, he's dangerous. But to me, I think that's just that's too high of a draft capital for me to risk it. With For me, number six, I, I have Dobbins there, who I like Dobbins. I don't love Dobbins. So, some people really love him. I think he's good at a lot of things on the field. I don't think he's great. I think that offense, I mean, he he improved by 2.1 yards per carry from 2018 with Dwayne Haskins throwing 50 touchdowns to this season with Justin Fields throwing 43. What was the big difference? The difference with me was scheme. When you run a zone, a, a read option scheme and run in that zone, he has huge rushing lanes. You could see that against Clemson where, I mean, it's there's nobody for 15 yards. So, you know, I think he got aided a lot more than people want to really look at. But I think he's good. He can catch the ball. He can block. He can run a little bit. I just don't see special. Just because we've been running a little long on time, Nick, why don't you round out the rest of your top 12 after Dobbins, uh, starting at number seven? Yeah, um, I really like Denzel Mims. I mean, George disagree there. I have him at seven. Uh, then I have T. Higgins. So George had mentioned him earlier. I'm a big fan of him. Uh, Jalen Rager, I think he's more nuanced than people want to give him credit for. Then Michael Pittman, Brandon Ayuk, and then I have Justin Jefferson, which I know is not what people think, but that, that whole next tier of wide receivers, they're all really good, and you could really pick whoever you want there. How about you, George? Why don't you give us your uh, bottom six of the first round? Yeah, I mean, I have Cam Akers seven, which I know Nick wildly disagrees with, but I, I really <laughs> do like the the athletic profile, and, and I know people like Graham Barfield have really liked him in terms of his ability to create yards, uh, given kind of the bad Florida State offensive line. Uh, I have Jalen Rager next, another person who is dinged by a bad offense. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, I have nine. I really like him as a, as a potential uh, Anquan Bolden type of guy who can really create after the catch. I have T. Higgins, 10th. Uh, we kind of talked about him before. Clyde Edwards, Hilaire, I have 11th. Uh, and then I also actually had Justin Jefferson to round out my top 12 with uh, Mims and AU, kind of the guys that are like right behind him. And, and to Nick's point, it's really crowded there. You can go in a lot of directions with with kind of that back half of the first round. Look at you, totally, totally redeeming yourself, George. <laughs> yeah, thanks, buddy. <laughs> Great stuff, guys. I'm sure the listeners will be really excited to get those top 12s from both of you. I like that we get to see two different perspectives on this too, right? Everybody plays fantasy and looks at fantasy in a slightly different way. And being able to see these different viewpoints is great. 
listeners, be sure to check out the work from both Nick and George over at 444.com. Thank you for taking the time today. Uh, why don't you let folks know um, where they can find you on social media and, and plug anything else that you want to plug on top of the goodness you have going up at 444. Uh, George, why don't you start us off? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Rotohack, and all my work is on 444. I know that uh, Nick and myself and, and Greg and some of the other contributors at 444 are going to do a, a mock rookie draft as the NFL draft wraps up and hopefully will be posted early next week. And we'll do a top 200 update to my dynasty rankings as well right after the draft takes place. Um, and hopefully a lot of great content in May kind of uh, dissecting everything that goes on later this week. All right, Nick, you're up. Yeah, uh, Twitter at underscore Nick Whalen. And then in, in my intro, I got a lot of stuff going on. So the graduate is out. That's this class. It's all of my notes. It's 96 pages. Um, and then I make the Debbie report. So it's everyone that's not draft eligible, even the kids coming out of high school. So that's another report. And then I'm actually starting a new one. I'm kind of excited about it. It's going to be called Dynasty Startup, just in terms of everything to get ready for a startup in terms of strategy, in terms of preparation, you know, thought processes, it's going to be pretty interesting. I'm also a dynasty nerds. So I'm hoping to wrap all of my work, all those publications up in a website called nickwhalen.org. Uh, that's also going to house my life coaching business. So I'm not busy at all. <laughs> no, not at all. I mean, it sounds like you're keeping in line with the 444 brand now, staying super busy. Listeners, you can head over to the site to see all the different work that we've got going on there just since Saturday. We've had eight different articles go up, including looks at some vacated touches and targets from John Paulson and a bunch of betting props for the NFL draft by Elliot Christ. So yeah, head on over to 444.com, get a subscription if you don't already have one. The time to do that is now. We're ramping up. The draft is here. And after that happens, you know, it's only a matter of time before the regular season is upon us. We'll be back again next week to recap the NFL draft and try to sort out how all these landing spots are going to play into our fantasy analysis. Uh, so until then, thanks for listening to the Most Accurate Podcast. And I always thought I would die.